Okay, and Terminator? Nobody's in. Nobody's interested in Terminator? Mm, nah. Yeah, me either. I watched the All first right. one, and he had really great shoes. But that's about <laughs> it. The shoe is the Nike Vandal High Terminator. It's like... It, it looks like an Air... I think it is an Air Force One. It looks so it's cool. A, it's a, like a knockoff Air Force One. It, it yeah. looks really great. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect shoe to represent the franchise. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Welcome, listeners, new and old. In addition to what we're feeling this week, we are discussing Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Book Smart. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and tell the world what's your favorite on-screen friendship. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager. Ugh. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And the reason I sound so awful to any of our regular listeners is because I have a very stuffy nose. So I'm just getting my apology right here out of the way at the top. And my favorite on-screen friendship probably is going to have to be um, Tom and Josh from the TV show Please Like Me. It's a show that's about more than just friendship, but their friendship is kind of the home base of the show. And the familiarity that they have with each other and the the way that they rag on each other is just everything I look for in pure on-screen friendship. Yikes. I thought I was going to have some banter to say, but that is a show that I've been putting off you telling me to watch for like four years now. So. It is a goddamn <laughs> shame that you have not watched this show. I know. Um, well, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago, and my favorite on-screen friendship um, is Danny and Rusty from Ocean's Eleven, or I guess the whole Ocean series, but uh, their friendship is dynamic. It is mostly silent. They know what each other's thinking all the time. It's perfect. This comes as no surprise. <laughs> of course. Of course. It's of classic. Course. <laughs> and joining us this week, uh, we have Ben Weaver from Austin, Texas. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I am, my name is Ben Weaver. I am a filmmaker and writer in Austin, Texas. And my favorite friendship on screen is Jane Craig and Aaron Altman from the 1987 film Broadcast News, played by Holly Hunter and Albert Brooks. Mm. Holly it's so Hunter. highbrow of you. Well, I mean, it's the one, reason though. I keep coming back to this movie is because Holly Hunter is incredible as a news, a TV news producer, and uh, Albert Brooks is so funny as her best friend collaborator and sounding board and they have a witty repartee they are so funny and they are competent and it all goes to shit when uh when william hurt comes in the beautiful and completely untalented (laughs) reporter comes in and shakes things up it is my favorite on-screen friendship. It's definitely one of the best. Now, Ben, I, I've also given you shit for not watching Please Like Me. Have, did you ever complete that? I really gave it at least 45 minutes of my undivided attention once. And that is not, <laughs> does not satisfy me. Ooh, I got to get on it. I'm not the only one. <laughs> well, every episode, we like to discuss something we either, either discovered or rediscovered, um, whether it be a movie, a, a TV series, um, some music. Uh, so let's start it off. Sandra, what are you feeling this week? 
Okay, this week I am feeling John Wick, the cinematic universe. Um, I knew that John Wick, <laughs> I knew that John Wick three was coming out this weekend, and I wanted to like be a part of the conversation. So my dear friend Linda Bailey and I, Linda came over one night. We started John Wick one. We were immediately in love with this world and this character. Wait, wait, wait! You hadn't seen this before? No, never had seen it. Oh my goodness! Okay. Yes. Okay. And. After watching John Wick 1, we immediately made plans for the next night for her to come over again so we could watch John Wick 2. Yes. And then made plans to see John Wick 3 this weekend. So I watched the entire series, the entire franchise in one week. So it's very much what I'm feeling this week. Um, This universe is so, it's so incredible. Um, It is fantastic. I, one of the things that endears me to this this world and these movies so much is that I am such a big fan. I've talked a lot on this podcast about how I love movies about thieves and heists and con artists. This isn't about that. This is a world of assassins, and John Wick is one of the best assassins there ever could be. But what endears me to this world is the same thing that I love about thief and heist movies is that it really shows you the interconnectedness of criminals and what it's like when criminals have a code and when there are rules and lingo and a commonality between each other. And this world dives deep into what that would look like. Um, there are There's a whole set of currency. There's rules that you know, and then you're discovering new rules as you go along. Um, not to mention that the action is just like world class. If you love action movies, you have to be watching these movies. Um, I do want to point out, I want to give a lot of credit to, again, my friend Linda Bailey, because the very first time we watched John Wick, and um, and this is like a very slight spoiler, I would say, is the, you open on a shot of gold coins. There, There's a shot of gold coins in the movie at the very beginning, and Linda immediately shouted the word Krugerrands. Have you all ever heard of Krugerrands before? <laughs> Basically, no. my very general understanding is that a Krugerrand is just like this specific type of gold coin. Um, they're primarily in South Africa, and it's, you know, most of the gold coins in the world, like, are Krugerrands. Like, it's a, a very specific... Not what I thought it was. Then. It's cool. like a very specific. T- it's like a. It's a universally recognized like gold coin. Uh, and like so from parts of the Caribbean. It's sort of more modern, <laughs> a modern version of that. Oh, okay. And um, so when we first see them on screen in John Wick One, and they become a large part of John Wick Two and Three, um, Linda immediately shouted Krugerrands, and I was like, I don't think those are actually Krugerrands. I think they're <laughs> specific to the John Wick universe. <laughs> yes. Um, but. Regardless of the fact that they were, for the rest of the movies, every time we anyone ever brought out a gold coin, we shouted "Krugerrand" at the screen, and it really enhanced my viewing experience. Um, And in fact, seeing John Wick three in theaters, I felt a little bit limited by my inability to shout "Krugerrand" at the screen. I don't know. I think the audience would have loved that every time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're really into it. These, these really like this girl high on Sudafed, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I, this is, screen. this series is truly the perfect, like, watch at home series. Um, I'm sure it's absolutely fantastic in theaters, but I have seen them all at, only at home. Um, and I, I, in fact, watched the first two this weekend. I was on my way to the theater 
on Saturday to watch the third one. And I was like, you know what? I haven't watched the first two in a long time. It's been since the second one came out. So I turned around and went home um, and watched the first two. And it was... (laughs) It's fantastic. There's so much fun. There's so much. I, I love like the secret world building. So like you're learning about all these things that are hidden in plain sight um, and not like in a national treasure way, but in like a and I honestly like an Ocean's Eleven way where you yes. have, a, you know, the secret world that's around you and just like um, it, it, as far as the movies go, New York is just chock full of assassins just all over the place. Everyone's an assassin, basically. (laughs) But it's super simple storytelling. John Wick uh, just needs revenge of some sort in these movies, and he just goes on a killing spree. And that's basically all you need to know. And it's just really focused on the incredible choreography, the incredible just lighting and sets and and action and then the world building it's truly truly amazing there are two great things about this movie uh the first is that the director chad stahelinski i think that's how you say his last yes. name he was <laughs> yeah. keanu reeves's stuntman forever for in all of these yes. movies and that makes this amazing you know full circle ending for him now getting to direct films and make movies that are so good and the second thing is that he is a snack if you have seen a photo yes. of him, he is so handsome, and I'm so happy that he's having a great career. <laughs> it makes me truly happy. Yeah. Also, I don't I don't remember his name, but the co-director, along with Chad, um, whatever his last name is, uh, the the other co-director of John Wick Two directed Atomic Blonde. So if you like were into Atomic Blonde and everything that was happening with the stunts and the choreography and the visuals, a lot of that feels like reminiscent in John Wick 2. Um, David Leach. Yes. So, yeah, if you're fans of that, check John Wick out. also going to be directing Hobbs and Shaw. Well, he did direct Hobbs and Shaw. Ugh. It hasn't come out and yet, but yes. Truly my, one of my most anticipated movies of the whole summer. Like For, sh- for sure. I saw that Hobbs and Shaw trailer again today seeing after <laughs> before seeing John Wick, and I, like, am dancing in my chair when it's playing. <laughs> I'm so hyped. I never thought you, Sandra, in any world would be such a Fast and Furious fan. This makes me really happy. Now, Ben, are you part of the Fast and Furious family? Truly, I uh, have seen Tokyo Drift once in high school, and since then I've kind of stayed away from the family, but I need to uh, get back into it. Here's, oh, man. Here's the thing. <laughs> You've got to disregard one, two, and three. Okay. And four is like decent. <laughs> five is it's like the it only gets... series that's like, wait till five. Five <laughs> is really where it gets good. Really? No. Four is decent, but five is when it becomes great. And then five on, fantastic. You'll love being a part of it. I can't wait. It truly is. Okay. So I, I don't have anything else to say about John Wick 3 or, or John Wick other than I love rules and this series has plenty of them. So please go see it. As the only one who's seen John Wick 3, would you say it ups the ante? It definitely ups the ante. Yes. Okay. okay. I'm not looking for it to be necessarily better or anything like that. I just want more. <laughs> yeah. I would say uh, there was a lot about John Wick 2 that I think John Wick 2 is my favorite of the three, but John Wick 3 is definitely bigger. Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Well, this week I am feeling um, season two of the here in the States, it's the Amazon uh, series Fleabag. Um, We talked about this on the podcast, I guess, a couple years ago, whenever the first season came out, and we thought it would just be, yeah, we thought it would just be a limited series, but um, I guess it technically still is, but they did a second season. Um, I feel like most of the time when we get a limited series that goes for a second season, I'm 
apprehensive about it, and it's usually not as good as the first one. This is one of the only ones where I'm like, there's a good reason they 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 went again. They decided to go uh, to go at it and make another season, and it is one of the most perfect things of TV I've ever seen. <laughs> it's truly brilliant. Um, the first like minute of the first episode of the second season, you absolutely know this is a different show. Not a different show. This is a different feel. This is uh, perfect. You are being guided. You are in good hands. It is amazing. Um, I absolutely love it. I cannot wait to watch it again. Let me just, I have one thing to start us off. In Phoebe Waller-Bridge, we trust. Because True. this- Except for Solo, which she did not- she Well, was, she, she didn't write that. She didn't create that. She just, you know, was a minor player. But <laughs> in, in Phoebe Waller-Bridge and her words, we trust. Because- this show was everything I didn't know I needed. Like, I said this on Twitter, and it feels hyperbolic, but I truly believe that this season, this second season, is the best thing I've seen in years. I rate it above all of my favorite movies for the past few years, every TV show I've seen in the past few years. it Nothing could be more perfectly crafted for my enjoyment my well-being my entertainment um it's a love story it's a story about faith and worldviews and family and grief and sisterhood and it's so many things and yet it's so delicately balanced and humorous throughout and heart-wrenching throughout um there were moments when i screamed out loud um, <laughs> both in titillation and in fear there was moments where i laughed out loud and by the end i was sobbing um i i I don't want to spoil a single thing about this show because it's too perfect for and I, i wouldn't dare spoil it for someone um but just know that if you haven't seen any of fleabag start right away and if you haven't seen season two also start right away. It's. I think we should also make sure to point out that both seasons are six episodes, Ugh. thirty minute episodes. Yes. So, so you you could watch that. Just like that opened up every window in my house and just let <laughs> breeze in six episodes yeah. a season. Ugh. Thirty yeah, minute episodes. So total three hours each season. You could watch the whole. You could watch both seasons in a day. You could watch one season a night. It's yeah. incredibly digestible. In fact. The only way I've ever watched this show is watching the entire season all at once. Um, I've watched season one a couple of times that way, and now I've watched season two once that way. And, yeah, it it's so perfect. Um, I would also want to point out that episode one of season two is one of the most perfectly crafted individual episodes. For sure. It... it, it, it whether you if could you call just, it, if you just watch that as a short film on its own, knowing nothing else, yes, that it's yes, absolutely, it's so good. But even, but not just by itself, as a follow up to well, season one, it's also so amazing because it really shows you where these characters' minds and emotions are at from season one to season two, and it takes and it lets you leads you on into that second journey with this family. Um, yeah. I think I think one of the things that I always have trouble with are, are shows about people who are kind of spiraling right. <laughs> out of control. That's always something that's hard for me. And I'm just like, I don't really want to like invest time in someone like this. And I don't want to like 
ugh, I don't want to deal You really with this. don't like secondhand embarrassment. Mm. I, I, I really don't. But also, I don't like people who uh, don't have their shit together. Like, <laughs> yeah. And not, not, not like in a real way, just like in TV. It's like, I want to, I want you to give me something. And, and like, flawed characters, I love it. But you have to give me something that is very different or something that is better than, you know, than reality. Um, and I think season one does that in spades. I think when I first heard about it or saw the trailer or something like that, I was like, okay, I get it. I get where this is going. This is your anti-hero type mm. thing. And season one gives you so much character, um, the relationship between her and her family. Like there's so much there. That's not just, this is a person who's in crisis. Um, and I think you get so much empathy there with that as well. And I think that's for me, that's a, I'll say it's a failing on my part of just like, I need more and it's going to take longer for me to get invested in a character like that. Mm -hmm. And I think season two, like puts you in a space where you're like, Hey, what happens when you start to work at that? What happens when you are better? You're not fixed, but you're better. Actively are making an effort to grow. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So what, yeah. So, so what does that look like? And I think it does such a good job kind of bringing you in and you're along for the ride and you like a lot of like the snark and a lot of the weird stuff that, you know, that, that she does and that happens. Um, and it really starts to investigate a lot of that. I think it's truly brilliant. All of these, all all of these topics and the things that you're saying are really interesting and, and are a great selling point for someone who hasn't seen the show. But again, I think the thing that is most appealing is the fact that it's so short. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. something that is, <laughs> you know, obviously quality and content is what's going to bring people to things overall every time, time in and time out. But I think now, and we've seen it with, oh, what was that show on Netflix about um, the comedian who he has a disability and he's working at a startup as a writer? I can't remember. Oh, special. special. I watched that. Yeah. Um, we're seeing it with things like that where the shorter episodes that this new thing where we don't have to be tied to 30 minutes for a half hour or a full hour where we're seeing Mm -hmm. the fluidity of the length of episodes. I think now because there's so much content stuff that is shorter, uh, will is a way that we can now access things because it's less of a commitment and therefore we can get engaged. Also they, when season two was released, they announced that this is the final season. Like this is the end of the show. (laughs) And so that's also knowing that like you, you're sometimes you think, Oh, can I get invested in another show that, and then I'm going to wait for the next season to come out. And how long will I be a part of this, you know, world knowing that, this show is final, that it's a season one and a season two. Someone on Twitter related it. Um, there's a lot of like religious imagery in the second season. Um, it's like a diptych. It's, it's a, it's a, it's two halves that make a whole and you watch them as a, a part one and a part two. And that's it. That's mm-hmm. the story. And knowing that there's that finality, I think is also um, really, it can bring people in. Totally. I went oh, I went through the opposite. I just got invested in the Netflix show, The OA, and that is the opposite end Ooh. of the spectrum where it asks everything of you, <laughs> every single frame you have to study. And so it's nice to hear that there's something that's like, all right, it's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. We're going to give you everything that you want, and then we're going to get out. Yeah. The Fleabag, that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you have it, it's truly brilliant. Very crude, very fun. Mm. Yes. All right, Ben, what are you feeling this week? All right, so this week, summer has begun. The shorts are coming out. We're going to the lake. We're going to the beach. We're having a good time. We're getting sun on our faces and on our skin. And instead of trying to dig through all of the music that could potentially make you feel good but will always let you down, 
the queen <laughs> of unabashed and unembarrassed pop came back and gave us an incredible summer album. Yes, I'm talking about Carly Rae Jepsen with her new album, Dedicated. Now, Carly Rae Jepsen, for a lot of people, they hear that name, they're like, oh, wait, is that the Call Me Maybe girl? To be fair, yes. Um, but she <laughs> she has grown so much over You're the years. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But th- what this woman has done is she has found her groove and she has just run with it. And in the process, she has collected the gaze and become an icon. She has given us bops. She has given us tunes. And with this new album, we find that Car- Carly Rae Jepsen gives us uh, just bops upon bops that will also make you think, make you feel, but mostly just make you have a good time. Uh, I'm looking at the track list right now, and truly, I've been listening it to it on repeat for a week, and I'm seeing for the first six tracks, there's no skips. Uh, you can put this album on. It starts with a song called Julian. It is synthy. It is bouncy. It is fun. And I think the interesting thing about Carly Rae Jepsen is that she kind of, in her weird, cheesy, bubbly way, has become timeless because she makes songs that feel really good and that's kind of what they're about. She's not trying to make a statement. She's not trying to, you know, get political. All she really wants to do is make you have a good time. She's just a theater kid who knows how to make good tunes. Um, She gave us 15 songs on this album. And while the second half definitely feels a little different, um, all of the songs are incredibly fun to listen to all the way through at least once. Um, And I read in a Rolling Stone interview about her, Carly Rae Jepsen went full-on nerd in one of her songs called Everything He Needs. Apparently, she, she was what, uh, she was... She loved the song um, in the movie Popeye from like 1980, and it's the song that I think her name is Olive. Is that her name? Olive Oil? I don't know. Yep. She yep. she just sings around, and uh, Carly Rae Jepsen and her producers started singing that song in the studio. They funked it up. They made it a really sick beat. They had a really good time, and then they found out that Disney had the rights to this song, and so they could never put it on the album. Carly Rae Jepsen, being an incredibly brilliant mind that she is. She went to Disney, uh, Disneyland with a contract, and she found someone in a Mickey Mouse outfit, uh, went up and had him sign this contract to like the release to allow her to put this song in the album, and then sent a photo of her Mickey in the contract to her reps, who then sent it to Disney and worked it out. She got the song in the album. She's brilliant, y'all. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> she really is. I think I I will say I was pretty hard on her after Call Me Maybe. I thought it was like a one-hit wonder situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've eaten crow. She's fantastic. She's truly amazing. I think she is on that level. I think, well, I think only time will tell, but I'll say she's on that level of Robin mm-hmm. where it's just going to be constant enjoyment with everything that she does and just continues to stay relevant forever. And there's some what it there's feels something like. so incredible about someone who knows their lane and drives really fast in it. Like not she's not trying to, you know, do some she's not trying to make some sort of magnum opus. She's trying to make really great pop music. And in a world where everything I tweeted this the other day, I was like there are too many masterpieces. And in a world where there's so much good stuff, it's incredible to find someone who just wants to have fun and just wants to make you dance. Um so the thing, I'll give you guys a couple of recommendations in case you haven't listened to it. Truly, you can start it from the top. Julian is great. Uh, no Drug Like Me is also great. Um, everything He Needs is 
just this bouncy song and it honestly it weirdly sounds like a tyler the creator produced song where it's like warbly synths and it's poppy kind of from his flower boy era um but then it's those kind of like that production with carly ray jepson's sweet voice and it feels perfect it feels great uh and then it leads into i think right now my favorite song in the album happy not knowing I have driven down the highway several days this week at sunset, blaring the song with the windows down, screaming at the top of my lungs. It is so fun, and it's a great time. So I'd start there, um, and then if you go all the way through, the last song, Party For One, was a single. By the time you finish this song, you'll come back around and realize that that was a jam that we let slip through our fingers. It's so great. Uh, the whole album is 15 songs, 49 minutes. It's not going to ask a lot of you. It's just going to ask that you have fun. I have to admit something, Ben. And that is that all of the shit I gave you two for not watching Please Like Me, um, y'all need to turn around and give mm. to me because mm. I haven't listened to this album yet. It, it um, does not make sense. That does not compute <laughs> with who you are as a person and how you move through the I'm, world. I'm confessing my sins right now. Um, <laughs> You're I've, even a Carly Rae Jepsen stan. Like, abs- you, like, absolutely. It's... <sighs> I've listened to a few of the songs. Um, I've listened to No Drug Like Me. I've listened to Too Much. Really enjoyed both of them. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't felt bouncy and summery yet. Mm. I just haven't been there. And I kind of just don't want to taint this album until I'm in the proper mood for totally. it. Totally. So I'm. You like, know, it's it's June next week, right? Right. You know that, I right? Think I'm gonna, okay. I, I think I'm ready to get there. I think I'm getting okay. there. I just haven't been in the past like week or two. I mean, it and might so, be like a chicken and the egg situation in that you don't feel that way because you haven't listened to this album. That is a very fair point. So <laughs> I will say that you bringing this up and and praising it has really like pushed me forward. So I expect to be like fully diving in very soon. I can't wait until. I mean, I can't wait until you hear everything he needs, just because I can see you yeah. moving around your apartment, just like bouncing to this song because it is so fun. And yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear. And definitely listen to the Popeyes version of He Needs Me. I will. Yes. 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 Because okay. it's really fun to see the difference between those two and kind of how she changed it and stuff like that. It's really great. I can't wait. Awesome. All right. So let's move on to a section that we like to call in or out. This is where we're going to take it. We're going to take a look at some things that have just come out, um, either some trailers or stuff like that, um, and just say, first impression, are you in or out on him? So first thing on the list, uh, Black Mirror Series 5 trailer just came out. Black Mirror started out as a British TV show that got kind of co-opted by Netflix, um, and they just produce a few episodes every year. It's kind of like the technology Twilight Zone type situation. Um, it's really great. Series 5, the trailer just launched, and they dropped a trailer for each episode, each of the three episodes that are launching um, on Netflix in uh, next week. So are you guys in on Black Mirror as a whole, and then are you in based off the trailer for Series 5? I'll start. I will say 
I have never been fully in on Black Mirror. Um, I've seen a few of the like big episodes. I've seen San Junipero. I've seen um, uh, what's the one from season one where like the eyes record things. Mm, yeah. Um, Ooh. Uh, yes. I've seen the John Hamm Christmas special, but I've never like committed to the show and watched every episode of a I season. I think that's fine. I think that's one of this is one of those shows that you have to have a curator. I'm the curator in my house um, <laughs> yes. who watches everything and basically says, "All right, these are the ones that are okay to watch," <laughs> because some of them are dark and some of them are pretty. Gr- I mean, if you, again in that Twilight Zone feel where you're just like, "Ooh, this is just hard to watch." So if you're not someone who can just like sit through a lot of that, um, it's 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 a little bit too much. Well, so. and then also like. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, season one and two were British se- series where there was like yes. three episodes a season. And Correct. then season three and four, I think, were more Americanized and there was like 10 or 15 episodes. It felt like lo- much Six larger. Six apiece. Okay. Um, it felt bigger than that. But so much larger. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just remember thinking like, I just don't really want to watch all of these if I don't even know if they're all good or not. And mm-hmm. I never really watched the more newer seasons. Um, Got it. Other than the San Junipero episode. Um, Got it. So, however, I will say that this season five trailer, I am very in on. There's a lot of actors in it that I'm very excited to see. Mm-hmm. Um and it seems like it's short. It's condensing itself again into mm-hmm. three stories, is what the trailer you know provides yep. us. And so, yeah, I'm excited. I think I'm going to like really jump in when season five comes out. Yeah, I think with Black Mirror, you know, in college freshman year, you're in the dorm and it's like late one night. You're you know everybody's around. You're walking around and you walk to the end of the hall and you see like a dark room. And the door is like kind of open and there's like a bunch of weird ass posters and they're like playing nine inch nails. And you look in and this person's like doing some sort of like Rubik's cube, but it's like all white. And you see this person like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm like solving, I'm on acid and I'm solving this problem. That's what Black Mirror feels like to me. It's like this cool older brother <laughs> who is so much smarter than you and has some really cool stories to tell you that are kind of <laughs> fucked up. Uh, I remember right out the gate with the National Anthem, the first episode, they yeah. re- they take a hard punk rock stance of saying, we are going to go there. And I was so impressed yeah. with that. Um, I haven't watched the trailer. Um, all I've heard is that Miley Cyrus is in it. And I'm like, okay, I want to see her in this world. I cannot Same. imagine what they're going to do with her. And I can't wait. Yes. I think I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, Miley Cyrus is in an episode. Um, Topher with, Grace. Yeah, Topher Grace is in an episode with everybody's new favorite, uh, the priest from Fleabag Season 2, Andrew Scott. Mm. Um, and then um, Anthony Mackie is in oh, um, nice. the third episode. So it's, it's, it's really great. All of these are written by Charlie Brooker, who was the original creator of uh, Black Mirror. Um, where I know in season three and four, where they had more episodes, some of that was um, kind of fanned out a little bit to other people. So it looks like he's back in the chair, he's in charge, and I'm really excited to see what he does here. Next, we are talking about um, a new movie, which I am surprised we are even talking about here, but uh, Crawl. Hmm. Has anybody has anybody even seen Crawl? 
When does it come out? I don't know when it comes out, but the trailer trailer. has just recently started playing before movies I've seen. Um, See, I haven't seen it in theaters. I've only seen it online and thought it was a B movie. But you have seen the trailer, Lucas? I have seen the trailer, yes. Um, So I wanted us to talk about this trailer because... Every, I feel like every movie season, there's like the Oscar season and then there's the summer season. Mm-hmm. Every season, there's one trailer that I hate with all of my heart and I have to see a million times because I go to the movies a lot during that <laughs> season. And I already can feel it because I've had to see it twice in one weekend. That The trailer of the summer for me is going to be Crawl. For anyone who has not seen this trailer, I'm about to spoil it for you. Crawl is a um, thriller about these two people trapped in their house during a hurricane and there are multiple alligators swimming in the water throughout their house trying to eat them. And it's about them trying to escape a hurricane and alligators. And it looks horrible, both from a quality standpoint and from a I could never watch that that looks horrifying standpoint. <laughs> uh, and I hate having to watch the trailer. I wish that I had like an eye mask and earplugs with me every time I went to the movie theater so I wouldn't have to see it. Um, that's that's all the ranting I have to do. Uh, that's I'm not I'm out on crawl. So I think there's something interesting about this movie because we're in a time in 2019 where all of our movies have to be important. All of our movies have to either make us die laughing or change our lives. And with Crawl, it harkens back to movies decades ago where it's like, oh, I'm going to the movies because it's summer and it has air conditioning. That's the only reason. And I think it knows exactly what it is, kind of has one of those uh, The Meg feel, where it's like, oh, this is just going to try to scare people and use every cliche line in the book. Um, Now, that being said, there's no way in hell I'm going to go see it because I don't like scary movies and Sam Raimi isn't that big of a draw for me. But I do appreciate the fact that it kind of knows what it is and is... Uh, kind of operating on that level. It reminded me of that Blake Lively movie, The Shallows, um, where it's about just like one person and a beast and like trying to survive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I and to be fair, I don't think Sam Raimi is directing this. I think he's producing it. Right. Um. So just for anyone curious, Lucas, you you thought it was a B movie? On honestly, I kind of like the trailer for it. Um, mm-hmm. if it's a B movie, it's I. This is not my jam at all like survival movies uh horror movies like that kind of stuff jump scare not 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 my thing um but i i'm kind of like ben like i'm i appreciate that 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 someone's trying stuff like this well good for you and those people (laughs) (laughs) good for her oh man i i I said to linda when we saw john wick three today I said, I can't even think of the amount of money you would have to pay me to go see Crawl. Like, I don't even know what that amount would be. It would have to be so much. Yeah. So that's that's me and me and my thoughts on Crawl. Wow. All right. Well, <laughs> does anybody have anything else before we jump into Booksmart? Nope. Nope. All right. Let's do it. Okay, so Booksmart is directed by Olivia Wilde. This is her first uh, feature debut as a director. 
Um, she's done some music videos. Um, this is I'm I'm really actually happy about this movie. Um, I'm gonna read the the plot summary from IMDb. It says on the eve of their high school graduation, two best friends realize they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. That sounds to me, I guess, like a send up to Superbad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's what this movie is at all. I think this movie is miles better than Superbad, <laughs> um, and I had a blast in it. Um, this stars Brooklyn Deaver and. Not Brooklyn. Is it Brooklyn Deaver? Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin Deaver. Caitlin Deaver. Beanie Feinstein. Feinstein? Yep. Feinstein. Beanie Feinstein is truly great in this. I am truly excited to see what she does next. I cannot believe um, how good she is in this. Her charisma is out of control. Um, What did you guys think? Does this not feel like... uh, It feels like, for me, seeing her take over this movie, Beanie uh, Feldstein? 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 Feldstein. It kind of feels like... What happens when you don't look stuff It up? kind of feels like this is her Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids moment, where w- oh, yeah, we've yeah, seen yeah. her For in sure. Lady Bird, we've seen her in Neighbors 2, we've seen her in a lot of stuff, and she steals the show every time, but this is the one where she's given room to run, and she fucking runs. She is incredible. And I'll just say, you know, from a plot standpoint, from the storyline, um, as a former... Uh, good kid who was number three in his class, I felt very represented by this movie. Specifically <laughs> that uh, I spent most of my high school staying in and doing homework because that was how you were going to get into a good school and have the best life. And to watch her character, which I believe her name is Molly, uh, Amy and Molly are the two best friends, to see Molly be valedictorian, to, ha- to have her identity in the fact that she didn't have fun, and then to see that everyone else in her class gets into Harvard and Yale and goes and gets jobs at Google and to see the rage on her face. I felt it. (laughs) I felt it so hard. And in this, there's a scene where she uh, is confronted by the fact that everybody else is, even though they've partied and had a good time through high school, they're still going to these great schools. She runs through the halls and asks people where they're going to college. I felt every ounce of rage that she had in that moment. It was incredible. And so just uh, on the, from the outset, from the plot, I loved this movie and I felt truly seen. Um, I've said it on Twitter and I'll say it here. This is my favorite movie of the year so far. Mm. I, oh, I wow. could not have loved this movie more. Um, as Lucas knows, I am a huge fan of teen movies. I think it's a genre that I love. And this is like high up in the genre, high-ranked in the genre of teen movies. Um, I love so much about it. Like you, Ben, I very much relate to the main characters. I would say I'm more of a Molly, but I have a lot of Amy in me as well, too. Um, This is a movie that I could have so desperately used when I was in high school. Mm. I wish I could have shown this movie to my high school self. Mm -hmm. I would have learned a lot of lessons a lot faster if I had had this movie when I was in high school. And um, I'm so happy for all the teens that have this as a movie that they can watch at slumber parties and that they can grow from. And I say like grow and how like emotionally helpful it is, but this movie is a riot. It is so fun and hilarious. I laughed like I just didn't stop laughing throughout watching the whole movie. It, um, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm right there with you. I don't mean to cut you off, but just the fact that so many times I'm at home and I'm looking through Netflix and Hulu and all of these sites to try to find something that'll make me feel good. 
And what I'm looking for on those nights is what Booksmart does, which is it yeah. makes you laugh so hard beginning to end in ways that like sometimes you can't even control. There's a specific scene where I laugh I laughed so hard that I almost got asked to leave the theater. <laughs> It is so fun. I could not, I couldn't, I almost stood up and applauded. Like, it is so funny and so perfectly timed. And the directing with the, how long they let the scene play out, it is perfect. And I just lost my mind. And that is just one of the many times that I laughed so hard in this movie. I mean, there's jokes after jokes. The characters are so unique and well-crafted. And, like, the characters just being themselves is funny, like, without jokes attached. Totally. Um... Another thing I love about this movie is how relevant it is and how very much set in 2019 it is. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've, we, and you can't talk about this movie without mentioning Superbad because it does feel like a follow-up and a partner to Superbad. But one thing that I think is so cool is that if you were to do a double feature and you were to watch Superbad and Booksmart, you could compare and contrast all the ways that they're similar and different. But one of the biggest things is how much this movie feels like it belongs in 2019 in a way that obviously super bad never could. And, um, I'm, I'm so impressed by that, how they made it feel timeless and relevant at the same time. How also how they take all these teen movie tropes and either subvert them or play into them. Um, I'm, I can go over in spoilers, all the different tropes that they subvert or play into, but, as someone who loves teen movies, that was so fun to follow along and see what they chose to make different and what they chose to like gloriously um, hold up. And yeah, I, I just, I think this movie is so good for teens also. Totally. I think it's like, it teaches you good lessons without being um, like preachy. It is thoughtful and good and nice and without with while still being crude and ridiculous and hilarious um i couldn't ask for anything more from it Mm. yeah when uh steven and i went and saw this movie in theaters and then we got home and said why not watch super bad it feels right so we put on super bad and i got about 30 minutes in and the comparison is really interesting and it it reminded me of uh something that i talked about on this podcast last time i was here um, specifically, uh, I, I came on and said my number one movie of 2018 was a movie called Skate Kitchen, which was an updated version. It kind of felt like an updated version of the movie Kids from the 90s, except it was directed, written and directed by a woman and was so much better. Um, and this kind of feels like that version of Superbad. Um, the thing about Superbad that I had forgotten was that... Um, Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah are so mean to each other. Like they love each other, but mm-hmm. most of the comedy comes from them negging each other and just being horrible to each other. Whereas in Booksmart, you know, kind of like in Broad City, the comedy comes out of these two characters and their extreme love for each other and admiration for each other, which I think is a great update. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's necessarily because of Olivia Wilde directing it. Um, but I think that there is something about when women, when women uh, look at children, young adults, look at um, the teenagers, I think that it's they're doing a better job of finding the parts that are like gratifying and you know uplifting and stuff that is actually timeless. Um, and yeah, Superbad. I mean, this movie is definitely inspired by Superbad. You know, 
the fact that uh, Beanie Feldstein is Jonah Hill's younger sister to there are a lot of uh, surrealist moments in Booksmart that directly come from Superbad. Um, but I think what it does is uh, it, and I think I heard you say this, Sandra, I heard someone say this, it really does queer the teenage uh, movie, the, the teenage comedy in a way that feels of the moment and feels uh like like the future and i really responded to it yeah yeah i didn't say that ben but i agree with it <laughs> um, um and like I, I'm, I'm talking about how relevant this movie feels and how modern and like of the future it also feels but at the same time watching it there was so much that as someone who graduated like a decade ago um over a decade ago um from high school it so much of that was like i felt I had all these exact same feelings when I was graduating high school and that like yeah. devotion of two girls being best friends. I, I completely recognize that as my experience when I was in high school 10 years ago. So like it, it is relevant and it is modern, but it is also very universal. And anyone who has been an 18 year old and let and, and had high school come to an end and had a, a best friend that they were in love with in the way only best friends can be will like see themselves in this movie. Yeah. I think one of the things that high school movies or a lot of high school movies have done is um, take a group of high school kids and make them the bad guys. Yeah. Um, whether that be the jocks or, you know. The mean girls. Uh, the, we- the mean girls, exactly. Um, and I feel like um, that that happened a lot, you know, in the 80s, and that kind of just kind of trickled on down. And I think Breakfast Club was, was one of the ones that was just like, hey, no, that's not how this works. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons it's so beloved. And I think this is another one of those where it's like you get to see all of these groups of kids, and none of them are, are demonized. None of them are um, made fun of in a in a real way. There's a lot of making fun of these groups of kids in a very, like, um, in a very loving way, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, this is ridiculous, but aren't you fantastic? Yes. Um, which I really loved about this. And so you see kind of these girls interacting with these different groups and these different um, uh, social isn't the right... Uh, archetypes. Uh, I, I, yeah, archetypes. Um, and... I think I think that's what I think ties this for me so closely to Breakfast Club is that is that it truly is this love of these people in high school uh, don't get from a lot of high school movies. I feel like there's a lot of making fun of high schoolers, whereas this one yeah. definitely does not feel that way at all. My, oh, one thing I do want to say before we get to spoilers is um, if you haven't seen Booksmart, um, this is a movie that isn't doing great at the box office right now. Um, it has, it's up against like big movies and it's just not making the, like the money it really should be. So I'm going to, I'm putting out the call, like, please go see this movie in a theater. Please pay money to see this movie. Um, these are the kind of movies we want to be made and we want directors like Olivia Wilde and actors like these actors to continue to get work. So I'm desperately begging people to go see this movie. Go see this movie and also go see it soon because with comedies, it's helpful to see them in a theater with a lot of other people versus seeing it on Netflix at home by yourself. It really enhances the experience when you're in a room with other people losing their goddamn minds to this movie because that is what's going to happen. All right, let's do it. Let's talk spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Okay, so to start off, um, I feel like there are three moments that were hard for me 
um, from just like a storytelling perspective that I didn't Hard love. meaning like you're critical of them? I'm very critical of them, yes. Okay. I think um, I it, know what you're going to say and I'm on the same page. <laughs> okay. Um, for me, all the transitions between kind of the, I guess the, the scenes, so between the, the parties, between the parties, like all of that just seemed very forced and very rough. Mm -hmm. um, I loved a lot of the scenes of them in the cars, but then like how they're getting there, you know, what, how, you know, all of that set up to get to the car, I think, was just a lot for me. And it slowed the movie down so much. So every time we got to one of those points, I was just like, oh, gosh. When they got to call uh, the Skylar kid with his car, I was just like, okay, we're stopped now. And then when they had to call the principal, or not call the principal, when they called that lift, um, and then when they called the teacher, like all of that seemed like stopping moments for me and slowed the momentum. But I it didn't matter in the end. I absolutely love this movie. And I think the, the brilliant moments way outweigh um, the parts where I felt slowed down. But those were parts of the movie, especially the second time through. I was like, okay, okay, come on, come on. <laughs> totally. No, and I think that there is something to be said for this being Olivia Wilde's first film. There were definitely mm -hmm. choices that she made that um, just come from inexperience. You know, whether it's... Uh, strange and awkward editing which came up several times i'm thinking of specifically yeah. the introduction of Gigi at school where oh, yes yes uh, <laughs> where we see Gigi and then they cut back to amy and molly and they cut back to Gigi. It's, oh see i think that was genius it's editing. a it's it's really sloppy and it's not very tight um <laughs> but you know i think things that you can do you know i think something else that's really interesting is that the the, the written by credit for this movie has four different writers on it. And now specifically, I don't know the situation that happened with this, but typically in Hollywood movies, when there's more than two writers credited, it means this script has been passed around and around and has had made a lot of, had a lot of changes made. And so what that can do is give you scenes that uh, are hard to get in and out of, or the transitions between scenes don't necessarily make a lot of sense. So I see where you're coming from um, in that regard. I can say that from my understanding, I think it was written by two writers a while ago. The script got passed around to a lot of studios for a while. Um, then another writer did a pass, like it did an updated version of it. It got passed around again. Then when Olivia Wilde signed on, she brought on the fourth writer to like craft it and make it something that would work for her as a director. Mm. Yeah, just for a little history. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to, the only other thing that I want to talk about uh, that's kind of a criticism of the film. I want to get it out of the way so that then we can just go into praising it. Um, something that I found, uh, you know, watching Superbad and seeing the things that didn't age, I was thinking about this film and thinking about teenage films and what won't hold up. And uh, the thing that I just kept going back to was um, the choice to make uh, Miss Fine, Jessica Williams' teacher character, uh, go to the party uh, and hang out in that party seemed like just a, a really bad choice. Um, I think that it also seemed pretty abrupt. <laughs> it, it seemed abrupt. And for, for the character that she was playing, which was this like really not cool and like a, like, Oh, you're awesome. But like, like a, an older sister, like someone they respected. Uh, it was such a strange choice. Uh, mm -hmm. it seemed forced and the comedy that came out of it. Wasn't worth the weirdness in my opinion. Um, yep. I just kept thinking like, okay, first of all, they're taking all her clothes. How are they going to get her clothes back to her? And then she goes into this party and just sits around, which I mean, I don't know if it, 
she would be thinking about like, is it a felony for her to be like the adult figure in a party where underage people are having alcohol? <laughs> I don't know if she would be thinking about that, but she's right. a teacher. So she's around a lot of underage people all the time. She must be thinking something like that. Uh, I just thought it was such a strange choice because it was such a prominent plot point. Um, and I don't think it's going to hold up very well. Other than that, though, I mean, I think this movie, I think it's going to hold up really well. Was that one of your three things? That 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 was one of the three things. Um, yeah. It's just if we'd gotten more set up earlier in the film about, um, you know, like what her deal is and stuff like that. Not that I wanted that. Um, I think preferably I would just cut it. <laughs> right. Um, but if if they'd set that up more of and, and maybe it was it's like a letdown to them that she is totally. um, kind of in this place in her life where she wants to be yeah. at a high school party and something something like that. But just it seemed so random and out of the blue that she was she went to the party. So so I want to address this because this was my one thing that I was critical of in the whole movie. Like the one thing that if I could change, I would change this for me. It was the fact that she like hooks up with one of them or Mm -hmm. like it's implied that she hooks up with one of them. Um, So for me, obviously I think that like I hate in any TV show or movie where there are teenagers, when there is a plot point where a teacher hooks up with a student because (laughs) I just by your name. That's not a teacher. Not a teacher. It's definitely coach car step away from the underage girls. Yeah, not fun. I just think it's like it's not funny. It's like it's not worth putting it in your movie or your show because I just don't think it should be made light of. Um, I agree. And so, like, even though this movie made a point to point out that he was twenty years old and not an eighteen-year-old, it doesn't matter. She's his teacher. She doesn't. She's not supposed to hook up with him. the one thing that I will give this movie, I don't think that it means, I don't think that this is excuses it, but what I will give it is that I do think that they tried to make it, make her character seem like someone who craved the attention and praise of teenagers. The kind of teacher that like wants to be cool, who like mm-hmm. gives her number out, which teachers shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, yeah, is cool enough to drive them to the party. And when she kind of makes a joke to Amy and Molly, like, that'd be weird if I went in, right? And they're both like, yeah, that would be weird. They kind of laugh. And then she goes in anyway, and it's kind of, yeah. like, sad. You know, she, you're kind of like, oh, you're kind of a sad adult. Yes. Truly, um, I could see a spinoff, like, a completely different tonal movie of, like, her backstory. Like, all the stuff that she talks right. about. Like, like, a serious drama where she's talking about mm-hmm. why she's banned from, what is it, like, IHOP? Jamba Juice. Jamba Juice, yeah. Right. I so can like, see that. I, I appreciate that they kind of did some of the work to make it seem like it wasn't just this, like, no no problem, just randomly a teacher showed up mm-hmm. um, and, and hooked up with a student. We're all laughing about it. Um, I still wish they didn't have it in the Well, movie. and I think what must have happened, if I can speculate wildly, is that Jessica Williams signed on to this project in some way, and she's such a, an incredible talent that they were like, let's find... Let's find ways for her to be in this movie. And whether or not yeah. it's in the original script, I don't know. But of course you would want to use Jessica Williams as much as you can just because she she ups the production value of whatever you're making. But yeah, it definitely feels like the one uh, oddity in this movie. Right. I will say that it did create one of the biggest laughs for me, which is 
the moment she walks in and we see Theo in the background and yes. he sees her and he immediately starts undoing his braids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that it's I very died funny. Oh, at. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's almost worth it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think I think this movie is incredible because it does deliver so many huge laughs. You know, a lot of the things that we watch, there are a lot of chuckles, there are a lot of like, oh, that's funny. But rarely mm-hmm. are there just like rolling laughter one after another. And I think it starts it started for me like the opening scene where Molly is picking up Amy and they just have this like dance party for like a minute. I was like, this is so dumb and so everything that I love. (laughs) Um, Lucas, you had one more thing. I just want to make sure that you said that. My last big issue with this is the character of hope, which is the character that the hot girl, Diana Silvers, the the, the character that Amy ends up making out with at the party. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. She was not foreshadowed enough for me (laughs) early in this movie. So the first time I saw it, I had no idea who she was because she has one line in the classroom at the very beginning, um, just about Amy getting, not Amy, yes, Amy getting her number, Amy getting Jessica Williams' number. Um, That's her only line for the whole movie up until she sees Amy at the party and they start making out. And Mm -hmm. so... When that happened the first time, I was like, I don't know who this person is. This is just some rando she met in the bathroom. But they have, like, an intense interaction that makes you feel like there's, like, tension there of, like, of, of you know, that they've talked before, that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I, and so the second time I watched it, I was more aware of it. And I saw that, okay, she was there at the beginning. But they have this conversation as if this has been building up for a while of, like, she's the girl that, like, acts too cool for everybody kind of a thing. And it's like, we saw absolutely none of that if she had been at like one of the other parties if she'd shown up at some point in this um if they ended up getting a ride from her instead of jessica will like just something where it's just like i don't know i was just like this is i I totally get what you're saying and i think uh i i could honestly bet that there are deleted scenes with her in them but i think there are two things that happened as somebody who watches a bunch of movies and studies movies and uh I two things were happening where I was like, oh, this person's going to be important. First, uh, just the actress herself. She is. Mm-hmm. I saw her face and I was like, okay, that person is going to be the hot person in this movie. And but more <laughs> yes, importantly, the, the thing that told me was the fringe leather jacket that she wore. And yes. it, the fringe leather jacket, it seems like just a strange piece of wardrobe, but it actually signifies something really like significant in teen movies, which is the person who wears that is either some crazy weirdo who's peripheral or is so cool and so hot that they pull it off and it's part of their identity. (laughs) And so when I saw her in that classroom scene wearing that jacket, I was like, oh, okay, this person is going to be important. It's a little bit of a shorthand that they did though. They did definitely kind of uh, not give her as much, uh, mm-hmm. If you're not if you're not reading in between the lines, it definitely seems like she comes out of nowhere. For me, I didn't have the same issue as you did, Lucas, because that first scene, like where she has a f- one quick line, really hit me like a ton of bricks. Because when she says that to Amy, it's like by the end of her saying it, you know that she's being withering and like vicious. But at the beginning of it, it you don't know if she hitting on Amy or is she being vicious like you can't tell like you can't tell if it's a flirt or if it's like an insult Mm -hmm. and by the end you feel like the harshness of it and the scariness of it but at the beginning it feels like you're like whoa that was like it hit me like a like a wave and so 
I very much remembered her when she came up again at the end of the movie because I remembered what I felt like when she said that first thing in the beginning. Totally. Yeah. And I um, think I think something that you talked about earlier, Sandra, really comes to light in the, with this character named Hope, where it is the reversal of the stereotypes. Um, as soon as I saw Hope, I was like, oh, she's that hot guy from Pretty in Pink who has the red car. <laughs> like, she well, is the archetype of the hot person who is mysterious and withdrawn and is above everyone else. Let me, I really am glad you brought up pretty in pink because this is like a trope that she plays into that I think is really fascinating that the way that they subvert and, and play into this trope at the same time is in pretty in pink is the perfect setup of just the, do you go with the hot guy or the nice guy that's been in love with you the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that plays out in so many teen movies. It's like certain teen movies, the girl gets the hot guy, and in certain ones, she sees that this one guy has been in love with her the whole time, and she kisses him, and then it's... And, and you cheer for different reasons for both of them, right? And then this movie has both. Yes. And when it starts out, you think that Amy is going to fall for the nice girl that's been there the whole time, and that... Um, Molly is going to go for the hot guy that is like, you know, that she has put like high above her. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it flips it by the end of the movie where Molly kisses the guy that's been liked her all along and Amy gets the hot girl. And the fact that this movie is like very aware of that trope plays into it and then flips it around, I think is so genius. It was really special and it was really fun, specifically giving... Uh, his name is Jared, the 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 really rich classmate, um, giving him uh, this role that is stereotypically either it's you know the nice guy or it's the the girl who's just loves this guy who has no clue. That sidekick kind of love interest role, giving it to him is so fun because um, the <laughs> the vulnerability and the like unabashed like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You just have to be so. Um, open and not even naive, but you just have to be so embarrassing to be that person. And and I had there were people. I mean, I was kind of that way, but there were a lot of people in my school that way when I was in high school. Just you know, like so dorky and so earnest. Uh, and to have him be this uh, love interest for Molly at the end, it felt really special and fresh and, and interesting. And another like the fact that the rich kid is not like the mean popular kid that he's like a kind of an outcast. Uh, It was also fun. A fun play on that. I mean, and it broke my heart, like him driving them to his party and it is on a boat and he has all of these party favors and all these drinks and it like the setup, I was like, Oh, that's really cool. But no one is there. Like broke my heart. (laughs) Yeah. So heartbreaking. But it also gave us an introduction to, uh, Jared's girlfriend, Gigi, best friend, best friend. Uh, who steals this movie for me. She is so funny. And just what they do with her, which is she just appears at every party somehow, some way. Uh, I loved that. It's so funny. But I think one of the biggest laughs for me was at the end at graduation where it just cuts over to Gigi playing the piano like a <laughs> <Yes>. prodigy. 
Yeah. And Someone they on sh- Twitter <laughs> described Gigi as like a demonic fairy godmother for the two <laughs> girls. Like it, she just keeps showing up at the parties and guiding them, and, but, yeah. with, but not very helpfully. And <laughs> I, I kept thinking of it as Puck from Midnight Summer Summer Street. Yeah. Like, she is just this weird, just little like mischievous person who's just like, yeah, you know, I'm in for the fun of it. She's <laughs> um, and I think. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about this movie is that all of the supporting characters hit it out of the park. The people yeah. I'm thinking of are uh, the theater gay George, um, who oh, he yes. hosts the murder mystery party. But that's not even my favorite part. My favorite part is him singing Alanis Morissette. Uh, yes. <laughs> I have, me and Steven have not stopped doing the, it, what I thought was just a Britney Spears impersonation, <laughs> where it's just a mouthy, like, like The, the tongue comes out a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is so fun. As, as soon as he started doing that, I like almost rolled onto the floor. I was like, this is, this is the best. <laughs> that actor's name is Noah Galvin, and he is just a vision. He's so his comedic timing is so perfect. He's I loved his reactions during graduation to everything. Totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he he's fantastic. I want to take this time to bring up one of my favorite like minor supporting characters is I think the hottest person in this movie, his character's name is Tanner. Tanner. Yep. Yeah. Tanner. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So beautiful. Also, I have, the most genius costuming I've ever seen mm-hmm. is making him shirtless and wearing backwards, backwards white overalls. overalls. <laughs> white overalls. Wait. On his like tan is he, shirtless. Is he skin. the skateboarder? Yes. 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 The oh. Asian skateboarder. Totally. The one who he, he shits on Molly, but also is like she can still get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, the whole time I kept wanting to be like, Molly, go hook <laughs> <laughs> And, and it, someone on Twitter said like in Molly's later years, when she's like in law school, she's gonna look back and realize, like, I should have banged Tanner that night. Like, <laughs> totally, <laughs> I totally. missed out. One of my, I, th- there are a couple moments in here in this movie that are absolutely genius that I absolutely love and want to talk about. But one of them is when they enter the party. I feel like in a lot of movies, at a party, party like this. The, 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 the final party. party, the big yeah. party, yes, where they're going the whole time, is that would be like a needle drop moment where everybody's just like, oh, what, they're here kind of a thing. And right, it's mean not. and judgmental. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's not. They just walk in and immediately, even most people are just like, hey, you guys made it. Like, you guys actually came. Like, right. not in not in like a um, judgmental way, not in like a, like, we were waiting on you, but just like, a, oh my gosh, can you believe that they're here? And Tanner immediately is like, you know, I will be your guide for the evening. Welcome. Uh, like, show, like, take him to the bar. Like, the, it's so nice and yet yes. so, like, these aren't the people they hang out with. But it's not in a mean way. It's just, we don't we don't really like you, but we don't dislike you. It's just what's, completely, yeah, it's great. What's really genius about that is because it really reminded me of, I felt like when I was, when high school was ending, there is this sense of, especially if you went to a high school where like a lot of you all went to elementary school together, you know, you grew up together, that by the time high school is ending, Everyone is just enjoying everyone. You realize you're probably never going to see these people again. And mm. you kind of just let go of any of the divisions and the clickiness that might have happened. And you just start to appreciate everyone. You start to, like, have this fondness for people that you didn't talk to very much. Or that, you, <laughs> or you like, you, you hung out with a few times, but you never, like, were close. And you start, like, getting this sense of joy about all these people. And I feel like this movie and this final party really captured that. Like, 
no one is like hating on each other. Everyone's just like, it's over. We all did this together. We're never going to see each other again. Let's just enjoy yeah. this. <laughs> this movie does something incredible about, you know, the teenage film, which is it it follows these two people who are dorks. And it reminded me, I couldn't place it. And then I put all the pieces together. I was like, oh, this really reminds me of Dazed and Confused for several reasons. Mm -hmm. One, it basically feels like, it feels like if Adam Goldberg and Anthony Rapp from Dazed and Confused just got their own movie, um, just <laughs> like the two dorks that going on an adventure. But also what was so amazing about Dazed and Confused and Booksmart is the soundtrack. This this movie had some incredible oh. music from some great artists. I mean, we're talking Lizzo. We're talking Run the Jewels. We're talking LCD Sound System. We're talking Perfume Genius. We're talking Anderson Pack. We're talking, uh, who else do we have? Uh, we have, well, we have Alanis Morissette, you know? Like, all of these incredible songs, um that one excluded that feel of the moment um, and feel like, Oh, I just want to put on this soundtrack and listen to it all the way through. I think that's really important in the teen movie. And I'm so glad they got it right. Isn't it crazy that that perfume genius song was oh, playing man. during the pool part pool scene. And then that was also played during the pool scene in the trailer for eighth grade. Yes. Like yes. the fact that these <laughs> two that was. like I forgot amazing coming of age movies that about yes. like young women coming out year after year in the same song mm, was yeah. important to both of them. I just thought it was like a cool thing that, that happened. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay, one thing I also wanted to bring up is the set design of this movie. Mm. Um, so especially the set design of the of Molly and Amy's bedrooms. So if you like look at any screenshots there's so many details in on the walls and the drawers um throughout the bedroom that i think say so much about the characters in amy's bedroom there are like protest signs all mm -hmm. over her walls like instead of posters of musicians or, or or celebrities she has protest signs that say so much about like who she is and it made me think about these teens and what how different their lives are and their like political thoughts are from like us as teens and when we were kids because these teens um they were sophomores in high school when Trump was elected and they were 12 years old at the start of the Black Lives Matter movement and they've been very much online throughout their entire childhood and the way that they are politically engaged. And, and I should also mention, I work with a group of teenagers. And so I know these, the, the kind of kids that are like represented in this movie, these very politically active liberal teenagers. And they just really hit the nail on the head with the way that they depicted Amy and Molly. Well, um, I, th I think there's something interesting. I'm looking at a screenshot of her room right now. And there's a black lives matter poster and a my body, my choice uh, poster and there's all of these like you were saying like these social activism these these protests signs that I think are really interesting for young people to be engaging with and um, there was a line from a movie that just came out that really struck me it was from Wine Country of all movies and it's in the scene where the the group of women go to this art show and they're having a dialogue with young people who they like kind of are annoyed by they kind of don't understand. And the young people make this incredible observation about the older generation where they're talking about their sexuality and they're saying like, oh, you know, they hate sex because it's like associated with fear and isolation um, and shame. 
And I think what's really cool about this younger generation having access to the internet is that all of these ideas and these concepts that used to be taboo are just presented because you can't avoid them on the internet. And so it becomes not strange and weird and it, it becomes a part of the dialogue. And I think that's a really cool thing that this movie uh, depicted was that all of these young people like dealing and grappling and, you know, uh, having all of these uh, issues in their lives not be weird, but just stuff that is happening and they're, and they're dealing with. You know, for example, like these two best friends, uh, one is queer and one is straight, and that isn't like the issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, oh, okay, this is what it's you're matter into. Of fact. Yeah, it's a matter of fact, and this is what you're into. All right, let's go, let's go, like, make sure you hook up with someone. It doesn't matter who it is. And I think that that's really cool for this movie to do because I think that's the world that a lot of young people are living in now. So to reflect that, I think that's really well, cool. Well, and also we have to talk about how like this scene has like a queer sex scene between two young women that is not like uh, I think exploitive. Um totally. and it and that like captures the awkwardness of like hooking up with someone for the first time um while also capturing the excitement and um a, there was some like a lesbian person that I lesbian woman that I follow on Twitter that pointed out that so off so many of these high school teen movies can be about like losing your virginity um and you know say what you want about whether you believe in the concept of virginity or not but that often like queer women are not are taken out of that equation mm. because there's like a very heteronormative view of what losing your virginity means. Mm -hmm. And so to have like two women having sex with each other for the first time in a movie, like really puts them back in this conversation in a way that just no other movie ever does. Um, so yeah. that I think is also cool. I think it reminded me of uh, the movie Beach Rat, which was directed by, I can't remember her name, but this female director who she dealt with this uh, this young queer man coming to terms with his sexual identity in such a like a gentle way and such a like respectful way, and I felt the same way about the the sex scene in Booksmart. It really just knowing that that Olivia Wilde, that a woman directed that scene, put me at ease for some reason, and it it just made me think like, okay, this is going to be handled so much better than all of yeah. the sex scenes directed yeah. by men for whatever reason. Um. There's one other quick set design thing I wanted to bring up. There's these little details, like in Amy's room, there are drawers that all of like her drawers are labeled. Yes. Um, <laughs> and there's these drawers that say like Molly's clothes. And oh. the fact that like she has these bunk beds and like there's a separate bed down there, really like without ever explicitly saying it, makes you realize like Molly is over at this house all the time. Like, we also kind of see that Molly lives in this, like, kind of apartment complex. She probably has, like, a single mom. And it just makes it very clear that Molly, like, spends a lot of time in this house, at Amy's house, and that it's, like, she's part of this family. Mm. Um, and just little details like that that tell you stuff about the characters without ever having to explicitly say that. Totally. Um, I didn't see that. That's amazing. <laughs> there's also a drawer label that says... Fall clothes and protest clothes. And like, <laughs> so genius. Yeah. That's great. Um, right. I have like a list of things that I still am wanting to talk about. So yes. I would keep talking. I want to give someone else a chance to say something. But Otherwise, I I'll move down my list. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more like genius thing that I do want to talk about. And it's just a small thing, but it's 
when Molly finally ends up talking to, I say finally as if it was, it's been coming up this whole movie and it hasn't. And I think that's what I like about it. But when she talks to AAA in the oh. car and AAA kind of mentions that how hurtful it is that the girls have called her AAA as well, mm. that it that just wasn't something that she was expecting. She was expecting it from the guys, but not the girls. Mm. I think that's such a good scene and such an important scene that gives um, a lot of character <laughs> to totally. her um, that is just absolutely brilliant. And then at the end when she says, please don't call me at next year at Harvard or at Yale. Yale, right? Yale. Yeah. 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 No, um, I mean, yeah. it's so incredible heartbreaking. It, yeah. it, it, truly such a great performance and such she the way she said those lines like mm-hmm. truly broke my heart. Like the way she kind of says it softly and like repeats herself. Like I just didn't think the girls would say would call me that too. And and Amy having to sit with that and realizing like the hurt that she's caused um there this is one of the reasons why I said like I could have so desperately ne- I desperately needed to see this movie when I was a teenager um uh, the the arc that Amy goes through of learning that she is not above her peers Molly. not just not just intellectually but like as a person that like like they are just as valid and, and intelligent and and kind as she thinks she is um feeling like you're superior to everyone as a teenager i definitely dealt with that <laughs> and uh i i could have really used the knowledge of like it's okay if you loosen up you these aren't your competitors these are your peers and it's okay to like be one of them and not feel like you have to be better than all of them. Totally. Um, and I think yeah. something that this movie does so well is it, it shows Molly seeing people and Amy seeing people, you know, like peripheral yeah. people like Jared, like Tanner, like AAA, like all of these characters that are just kind of on the outskirts. It really brings them into focus and humanizes them. And I think that that is like you were saying something that's really important in a teenage movie because it, I think showing this to young people and young people seeing like, okay, the people that you didn't really think about or the people that you thought you were better than, they are like the main character in the story of their lives. And they have, right. they have problems and issues and things that they're dealing with too. And so just extending that empathy, I think is a really great lesson that this movie gives. Yeah. Us. Also, can I just say that the nickname AAA is genius writing that like it really (laughs) does feel like something teenagers would come up with one it's like clever um in what it alludes to but also it's like the perfect mean teen nickname because you could say it in front of adults without them like knowing what it means you know what i mean like it's not like they're calling her like whore bag or something like they're it's it's sneakily it's a it's a subtweet of a nickname it's amazing yes okay I think this is the last thing that I have on my list of things I needed to bring up. So we all know like Billy Lord, it plays Gigi in this movie and she's mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher's daughter. Yep. Do y'all know who the other famous child or famous child of a famous person in this movie is? I didn't know until I saw it, but I'm going to let you <laughs> reveal it. <laughs> so the guy who plays um, Nick, the, the hot vice president is Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. What? whoa yeah so we have jonah hill's sister carrie fisher's daughter cuba gooding jr's son son we have a a lot of uh oh famous well famous siblings and i will say so the actress that plays the hot girl hope 
um, she, in an interview, kind of, like, I don't think she was being mean when she said this or, like, snarky when she said this, but she pointed out, she's like, I think I'm the only person in the cast that didn't go to Harvard Westlake, meaning that (laughs) most of this cast went to this elite L.A. high school. Like, and, and not everyone did, but it was, I mean, a lot of the main characters, those actors did. And just pointing out that a lot of these actors grew up in this elite high school um, upper upper class kind of society and yeah and so and, and you kind of feel that in the movie like that this the movie being de- the high school being depicted in this movie kind of feels that way as well totally. Um, totally. so that was also I think kind of interesting but I the second time I the first time I saw this movie um, I I enjoyed his performance but the second time I was really blown away by just how charming he is it's um, upsetting <laughs> he like is you know when you first see him in the movie you think he's going to be kind of like that jock that's a little obnoxious and that right. amy has a crush on because he's hot but then like when he's flirting with amy you're like with molly blown away you're like oh my goodness it like when they're at the party and nick and molly are flirting i got like uncomfortable sweats like yes. remembering back to seeing people flirt like that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, he has so much crazy game. charm. He has so much game and she's like rolling with it, but also can't believe it. Right. It was, I was like, I was swooning. We also need to talk about the incredible dance sequence between the two of them. <laughs> oh one, my one God. One of the surreal moments in the film. I loved that so much because the, the type of dance they did was so unexpected. Like, you think it's going to be like a waltz, like this romantic waltz, and then it turns into something more, like, modern and experimental, like a Sia music video. <laughs> and it was so fun. And also, you know, the crowd fades away, and they're just in that living room. But then they move into this hallway full of plants, and you feel like that's part of the surreal nature. But mm-hmm. then later on in the party scene... Amy walks through that same hallway full of plants. So that was like a real hallway at that house. Oh, wow. That I didn't feels know that. surreal in the yeah. dance sequence, but then bec- but is real in the party. And it's just like so many little touches like that. Or another kind of like surreal but real little touch was the transition from the boat to like a parking lot. You know, Gigi calls for the fireworks to go off and then when the girls are running into the parking lot you see these fireworks in the distance that mm-hmm. it's just like so i just loved all those little touches that um made this movie feel like not too crazy but still special and not like your regular world i think those big swing for the fences moments are really important to making this movie kind of a cult classic you know whether it's yeah. the, the the surreal la la land dance sequence or the sequence where they're at the murder mystery and they get drugged and they're uh they become like barbie dolls that scene is really long and really yeah. funny and it's so strange and it ends with an incredible button to the scene with them walking sure. out of the house um but it just it truly like you could see how that scene was written into the script and people were, they were like, Oh, this is one of the reasons why we're going to pass on it. We're not going to make this movie. And then once it's made, you realize, Oh, this is something that makes it special and unique. Right. Or like even the classic, like driving crazily driving a car, like that doesn't feel like a real high school thing that they would drive this car, this crazy car through the streets of LA and then like, 
ram through the graduation. Like that's pull puts it over the top, but in just the right amount where it feels <laughs> super fun and like exciting mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah, that scene at the end where they they're driving through and they bust through the gate, like it definitely felt like a movie moment versus a real life moment. You know, like a valedictorian probably wouldn't like wreck a car through a gate, but right. what it it felt earned and very yeah. At that point, I didn't even care. I just wanted them to have an, a grand entrance. You know, yeah, yeah. It definitely um, felt like it balanced those two tones well. And. I don't think we've talked enough about, we've talked about like what a star Beanie Feldstein is in this movie, but Caitlin Deaver, man, she has it. She was my she, favorite part. I she's was obsessed. such an amazing actress. The emotions mm-hmm. that she brings to every single scene, whether it's like just her muttering dialogue or like the intense emotional fight, um, it blows me away. She, I mean, she is the person that it's like, she's going to win an Oscar someday. She's so good. <laughs> I think if, you know, Beanie Feldstein is Jonah Hill and super bad. I'm so happy we got Caitlin Deaver as Michael Sarah because she brings that kind of straight guy humor to the, the dynamic, but it's so much more grounded and so much more human. Frankly, Refined, yeah. frankly it's more interesting. Like she, yep. I could just watch her, like the moment before she sings karaoke, you know, like her like looking up and and her getting up on stage and then her randomly being able to belt this song so well, like I felt so great for her and I wanted her to succeed and I wanted her to perform well in front of Ryan, you know, like everything that happened to her, I wanted to happen and I wanted her to succeed. She, her, her performance is incredible. Her vulnerability, the way that she depicts vulnerability, just really like you feel it in your skin as you're watching her. Also, I just, I don't know if we saw it in the movie, but she would look incredible in a backwards hat. Like the whole <laughs> queer lesbian role just fits her face. I want to see it. Yeah. Her and John Gallagher Jr. are the only two people I need to win an Oscar for my short-term 12 bingo card to be complete. Absolutely. <laughs> They're they both could way. do it. They're both... They both. I I think she's going to. I think John yeah. Gallagher Jr. is a stretch just because of his fame yeah. level. But I think I, I think from a skill level he could definitely do it. But right. she's on track. She's on track. <laughs> yeah, she is. Oh, I really could probably talk about this movie for another hour, but um, <laughs> I feel like I've said so much already. <laughs> um, anybody who wants to continue the conversation, please continue it on Twitter. Um, you can find us together at Feeling It Pod. Where can we find you guys individually? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, BenWeaver27. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Guys, this is a blast. I'm glad we did this. Me too. Thanks for having me. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.